Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And while you're turning there, let me say thank you for having, uh, having me here this morning. Um, I am RUF Campus Minister at the University of Louisville, as you said earlier, and uh, we appreciate your support and your prayers for our ministry, and uh, we are we're glad to be here. Um, so let's give our attention this morning to God's Word. As we find that John 11, a little bit longer selection, John 11, 1 through 44, God's Word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he, had, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went, out, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that, whenever, that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray before we consider it further this morning. Lord Jesus, these are your words, and we pray that you, in fact, would be in our midst and teach them to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, that what we don't have, you would give us, and that what we are not, that you would make us. We need your help this morning, and we pray that you would show us your grace and your mercy here in this passage. And because we can, uh, we trust in your promises and we can expect that, we pray Jesus in your name and say amen. Probably my, my favorite athlete uh, that I looked up to the most as I was growing up uh, was Bo Jackson. Uh, I don't know if you remember Bo Jackson or not, two-sport athlete, played professional football and professional, professional baseball. And one of the, my favorite stories that I remember about Bo Jackson really wasn't about uh, either one of those sports. But uh, in the later years of his career, he had a hip injury. And so he, anyway, he caught on with the White Sox and he wasn't playing a whole lot. And apparently in the clubhouse, he got really good at ping pong. And apparently he was really good at ping pong and he really let a lot of people know about it. And one day a sports writer was interviewing him and somehow that, that topic came up. And the sports writer challenged him, and he said, I bet I can beat you. And so Bo, uh, ever the competitor, said, uh, was pretty sure that he couldn't, and so they began to play. Now, of course, Bo Jackson's going to know that anybody that, that would challenge a, a professional athlete in ping pong is probably going to be pretty good, right? But he pretty much does this every day for a living in some sense. So they go at it, and the... Uh, Sports writer beats him first game. And so Bo hunkers down harder and harder, focuses more and more. He thinks, this guy, is, of course he's good, but he, he can't be that good. And this guy just whips him. Well, we come to find out that the sports writer was one of the very best ping pong players in the country, one of the, one of the few best. So you can imagine his uh, astonishment and his frustration as, as he played this guy. And he thought, I know this guy's good. But he can't, be, he can't be that good, right? And as, as this uh, sports writer is trying to, trying to bring Bo along to show him, I know that you think I'm good, but what I'm trying to show you is that I am incredible. <laughs> I'm better than you've ever imagined. I'm better than you ever thought. And that really, in a, in a strange way, is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's bringing Mary and Martha and us along in our understanding of who he is. He's, he's pushing our definition, our understanding of himself. 
He's saying, I know that you think I'm good. I want you to see that I'm great. He's trying to bring them along to expand their understanding of who he is. And I want to look at that this morning in three ways. Three actions that we see that Jesus does that are, I think, very surprising. First, we're going to see that Jesus waits. Secondly, we see that Jesus weeps. And thirdly and finally, that Jesus, in the end, Jesus wins. Jesus beats death. So first, Jesus waits. He waits. The passage starts out by telling us that Lazarus, uh, who is a good friend of Jesus and brother of Mary and Martha, and they're all very good friends of Jesus, that Lazarus is ill. Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus and say, you know, go tell Jesus that, that, that his friend is sick. With the idea being that certainly he'll come and heal Lazarus. And so Jesus gets the message. And then, of course, naturally, what does Jesus do? In verse 6, it tells us he waits. He waits for two days. It says he stays for two days longer where he was. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus wait? If, he had, if you think about it, if he had gone to heal Lazarus, Lazarus then, he hears that there's a problem and he goes. I mean, think about the, the pain that would have been avoided. And these two women, it, just these two women alone, they mourned the loss of their brother for four days. He was dead. Uh, not to mention what Lazarus went through. He was quite sick and then died. And Jesus put them through this pain. He, he could have avoided it, certainly. He certainly could have. And you can, you can kind of hear what the, the ladies are saying, right? Um, because they know that Jesus was good enough to come and heal Lazarus. That's why they sent to him. They know he could come and do it. But he doesn't. He decides to wait. And you can hear in there, it's repeated a handful of times. Verse 21, verse 32, and sort of again in verse 37. They say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I think what you can hear them saying is that, Jesus, if you really cared about us, this wouldn't have happened to us. If you really loved us like we thought you did, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Then you would have come and healed him. So how could Jesus wait like that and not relieve these women of this pain? Well, the answer is very clear. It's in verses 5 and 6, and it might surprise us. Verse 5 and 6 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. You catch that? That Jesus waited. He didn't go and heal Lazarus. He allowed him to die. He didn't go and stop their pain because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. His love for them is the very reason that he, that he didn't go and stop that. Now, how does that make any sense? Well, let's think about it for a second. Imagine if Jesus, imagine if Jesus had gone to heal Lazarus. Right? He hears word about it, and he immediately goes. And he heals Lazarus, and Lazarus doesn't die. You can imagine what Mary and Martha and, and the rest might think. They would think, wow, Jesus is, Jesus is amazing. Jesus, Jesus can heal sick people that appear like they're going to die. Uh, if you're in a tight spot, Jesus can help you. They would no doubt have thought that. But they wouldn't have thought 
they wouldn't have ever learned that Jesus, Jesus can save you if you're dead. Sure, they might think Jesus can, can help you if you're in a tight spot, but not, wow, Jesus can save you if you're dead. Because it's obvious that they know Jesus has enough power to heal Lazarus. They know he can do that. But you see, their assumption is, once he's dead, it, it's over. They can't even conceive of the fact that Jesus might could raise him from the dead. They need him to come now because once he's dead, he's dead. Nobody raises people from the dead. And so Jesus waits and he puts them through this pain because he loves them. And he wants them, he wants them to see that he's bigger than they ever thought, that he's more, that he's better. Uh, there's a scene that unfolds at our house with some regularity right now. Uh, we have a... Uh, one and a half year old, shade over one and a half year old, uh, named Miles, and Miles is uh, a lot of fun and into everything, and so inevitably at some point we'll be, uh, you know, playing in our in our playroom on the couch, and in some form or fashion, Miles will end up in some position, you know, with sort of his feet over his head, and where he 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 can't get out, you know, and and while he's laughing about uh, the fact that how he got there, you know, uh, a couple times Amy will say. You know, go go help him out. And I say, uh, not yet. Just he's fine. Just watch. And she say, go help him. That's mean. And I say, I, I'll get him in just a second. Just watch. And she say, why not help him out now? And I said, because he doesn't know he's stuck yet. <laughs> and then, sure enough, laughter. You know, he's trying to get out. Laughter turns to he's a little bit uh, more unsure of himself. And then he starts to say, duck, 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 which means stuck in our house. <laughs> he says he's stuck. And so I help him out. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He wants Mary and Martha to see that they're stuck. He wants them to know that they're in a place, in a situation that's hopeless. There's nothing that you can do about it. He loves them so much he wants them to be stuck. Because he wants... He can do so much more than the amazing. He can do the impossible. That's what Jesus is trying to show them. It's the way God's worked throughout history, right? God puts his people in impossible, difficult situations to show them that when it resolves, it's only by his goodness that it does. God promises Abraham and Sarah that, that they'll have a, a child. And then he waits until Abraham's 100 years old to give him that child because 100-year-old people don't have children, not outside of God's working. And I think that this, this thought has great application for us because um, I'm sure that you felt like Mary and Martha before uh, no doubt you have felt you've been in some circumstance uh, and certainly maybe right now where you thought if God loved me then this wouldn't be happening if God really cared about me the way that uh, I've always heard that he does then then he wouldn't let this happen. And I think what we see here is that, that exactly what we think might be an indicator of the fact that God doesn't love us might be the very thing that God is using to show us how much he does love us. And I know that that feels wrong, especially if you're in the midst of something difficult right now. I know that feels wrong. Because whatever circumstance it is that you're thinking about, it's easy to think that there's no way that God is going to bring glory to himself or good ultimately to me in this. 
whether it's uh, the loss of a job, uh, the loss of a loved one, um, difficulty in your marriage, difficulty with your kids, you've been betrayed somebody you trusted, something like that. It feels so wrong to say that God's at work in that. And the question keeps coming back, why? How could that be? And I think this passage is a great encouragement to you. That God is using these things because he loves you. And I think it's also possible that you might be a skeptic. And you might be asking this question from a different, in a different form. Uh, along the lines of, if God really is all-powerful, then if he can do anything, then why does he let bad things happen? And again, I think this passage is very helpful to us because it, it shows us that if you think about it, you can't have it both ways. What we want is a God that is big enough to do anything that we need, anything that you can imagine, and yet small enough to be accountable to us when things don't go right. And what I want you to see, one thing I want you to see this morning is that simply just can't go together. We can't have a God that's all-powerful and can do anything imaginable, can do anything that he desires, and yet is small enough that we understand every, every aspect of his providence. Because if we do have a God that's beyond our understanding, then he's certainly all-powerful. But if we have a God that we can understand everything that he does and everything he does makes sense to us, then that's not really a powerful God. So Jesus is showing us that he's big enough to do anything more than we can imagine and is gracious enough even to do things we don't understand. So secondly, we see that Jesus waits. But secondly, the second thing that we see is that Jesus weeps, uh, that he's moved to very strong emotion. Verse 33, 35, 38. You might be surprised by the fact that Jesus waits like that. Maybe you would think he would move quicker. But I think, I think Jesus' emotions that we see in this passage are even more surprising. Twice it tells us that Jesus is deeply moved, that he's troubled in spirit. And then in verse 35 we see that he cries. Now, there's some debate over what Jesus is crying about and what he's uh, been so moved by. Um, and I think it's very clear. Um, Jesus is in the midst of death. And it just bothers him. Jesus is surrounded by his friends, people that the text itself describes as people he loves, and they're, they're so sad. Because death, the, the effects of sin and death are all around him. And it just makes him mad. It makes him sad. It just, it just bothers him. Certainly you can identify with that. He's facing death and its effects, and it's just awful. It's just wrong. And so there in verse 35, you see that Jesus cries. Now this might be my favorite passage in the Bible for this reason. I want you to think for just a second about Martha, who just a few minutes before... Not sure how long, but just a few verses at least. A few, a few minutes before, looks Jesus in the face, and she knows to, to some degree or another, and she says to him that you're God. She has some understanding that you are the Son of God, the Christ that's come into the world. So imagine 
getting that. Just she, she believes that, and, and all of its and all the magnitude and all that all that that implies. And then a few minutes later, she sees him. That she sees him crying. Just just think about as as those two thoughts come crashing together in her mind, and hopefully in our minds, to see whom you know is the sinless Son of God. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He's always existed. He built you and everything you've ever seen or imagined. And yet, here he is, crying. He's so moved. One of the... uh, one of our students, actually, as we discussed this passage, said, um, uh, trying to think if I should sort of censor it, um, basically said uh, about our first point that Jesus would wait, said, yeah, I don't like that. That just stinks. And that's true if, that, if that's all there is to the story. But the answer to that, because I think that that's a very real place that you could be right now, is thinking... So you're saying that Jesus does hard things. He sends pain and difficulty into our lives for his good. I'm just just not sure I like that. And if that existed by itself, I think that would be fair. But here we see the answer to that. That Jesus comes along and, and he cries. He weeps with his people. She sees him crying. Um... You know, they basically alleged that Jesus doesn't love them as much as they thought he did, right? If you just showed up, he wouldn't have died. And if, if that's what they're thinking, which certainly it is, if that's their question, then I think it gets answered right here. As they wonder, Jesus, do you really love me? I mean, I know you might like me, but do you love me? And then to look over and see him crying because you're sad. I think you get your answer, right? I want you to think maybe about the first time you saw your father cry. Think about the first time you saw your dad cry. If you've you've never seen your dad cry, I think the illustration then will still stand, but sort of from the opposite side. Um, I've seen my dad cry just a handful of times, uh, which my children will not be able to say because Sports Center makes me cry sometimes. (laughs) I will no doubt cry during the sermon. but I remember the first time I saw my dad cry. I was in fifth or sixth grade uh, when his dad died. And uh, if you've ever seen it, uh, you'll probably remember that event because that's it, a big event, right? And why is it a big event? Because dads don't cry, right? Or, you know, until a certain point, you don't realize that dads cry. And it's disorienting to you because, because all of a sudden you realize something very amazing about your dad, that he's not just this sort of dad figure, right, this sort of robot that's put onto earth to make you do what you're supposed to do, but that he's actually a real person, that, that dad has feelings, that dad gets sad. You know, you think, well, wait, fifth graders cry, like that's, I mean, I'm a fifth grader, I cry, that's what kids do, but not dads, and it's disorienting because you begin to see that he's real. And that's what this passage is about. We see that Jesus, in all of his glory, is the sinless son of God himself, and yet he's standing here weeping. 
He's 100% God and he's 100% man. So how do we apply that? What does that mean? A couple things. It means that we have a Savior that's really a person. It means that Jesus, Jesus gets you. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be in a sinful world. Uh, Jesus understands the heartache. He, um, he knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows that life can hurt sometimes, and it can hurt a lot. Jesus knows that. You know, I think we tend to think of Jesus as sort of the, the Jesus robot, right? That, uh, and if he was really a man, that at difficult times he could sort of push the, the God button and sort of go into God mode, and it just wasn't real, like when he was tempted. And this passage, I think, is saying that that's a bad picture. Jesus comes and he weeps. Jesus, second thing it means is this, that Jesus doesn't just put difficult circumstances in our life, sort of in the cold, abstract sense, you know, from above and say, here's a difficult circumstance, you know, uh, you will come out stronger and then sit back and watch. But that Jesus does lead us into difficult circumstances, but then he comes and he, he walks through the pain with us. He comes and he cries with us comes and he stands with us and walks through the pain. And then thirdly, lastly, applications that we see that Jesus hates sin and death too. Because it's not supposed to be that way. And that's good for us to know. It's okay to cry about sin and death. It's okay to hate it. It's okay to have everything in your spirit just bothered by it. Certainly it's not okay to grieve without those, uh, grieve as those without hope. But it's okay to hate sin and death. Right? You think about the last funeral that you went to, uh, um, and you just know, especially the closer you are to the person that has uh, that has passed away, it's almost hard to describe. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's okay to be angry with sin and death. Lastly, thirdly, and finally, we've seen that Jesus waits. We've seen that Jesus weeps. And then lastly, verses 43 and 44, we see, that, we see that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. In the end, he beats sin and death. He rules over everything. John, John's gospel is one of the, the themes that he's showing is that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that showed up and that he reigns over everything. And he even reigns over death. And we see that very simply and obviously because Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And as, all right, as silly as this might sound, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. From the dead. He was honest to goodness dead. The, the bulletin, I thought was funny, it makes it look like, you've got to be careful about sermon titles. I don't like to make up sermon titles, but I'm going to be more careful because it makes it look like I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection, Way Rutherford. <laughs> and I'm not. And that's a good thing. And as, as many cool things as people can do, as many talents and abilities as, as people have, nobody can raise somebody from the dead. Not the dead. Um, in the text, John wants you to, John makes it really clear. He goes out of his way to show you Lazarus was dead. Not in a coma, 
not passed out, not, uh, not anything else. He was honest to goodness dead. You see verse 1, a certain man, Lazarus, right? People that we knew and that we talked to, uh, people know who Lazarus was. Verse 44, he refers to him as the man who had died came out. He didn't even say Lazarus, he said the dead guy came out. And then the next chapter, 12, 1 and 2, we see Lazarus hanging out and eating, right? Lazarus was genuinely dead, which is a big part of why Jesus waited. Um, he had been dead for four days. Uh, you know, as, as uh, one of them, someone in the text points out, that by now, but I'm not sure we want to roll that stone away because by now he's going to have started to decay and it's going to smell bad, right? You're obligated if you preach this to say that the King James Version says, this, Lord, by this time he stinketh. And so I said it. And so Jesus stands there and he shows that he is master over, over life and death. And he speaks, he simply speaks, <clears throat> and Lazarus raise, <clears throat> raises from the dead. <clears throat> and I think, it's, uh, <clears throat> sorry. I think it shows us this, <clears throat> that I need more water. <clears throat> it shows us this, that death doesn't get to win in the end. Death doesn't get to win. Certainly, it shows us that death is a reality that we have to deal with and we have to face. But Jesus says in verse 25 and 6, that he's the resurrection. Whoever believes in him, even though uh, that he will live, even though he dies, death doesn't get to win in the end. <clears throat> you know, think, pick any, any uh, good versus evil movie, right? Um, TV show that you watch, we watch 24, something like that. There's always that scene where it appears that evil has triumphed, right? And, and they want to talk about it and sort of rub it in the, the good guy's face, which is always their downfall. You figured they would catch on, right? Because that gives the good guy the opportunity to take back over. But in that moment where the guy's giving his little monologue about how uh, you're not going to win this time, you know, evil is going to triumph. Uh, in that moment, if you're really drawn into the movie, <clears throat> it, it's just so frustrating, you know? You just can't believe that it's going to work out like this because it's just not supposed to. And it's just frustrating. Or if you hear on the news, in, in all seriousness, a, a, a news story where it appears that uh, the bad guy gets away or the bad guy gets off the hook, something like that, it's so frustrating. And you think it, it just cannot end like It makes you want to go do something about it. But what's good to know, what this text shows us, is that it might feel like it wins temporarily, but it doesn't get to win in the end. The hero comes through. Death doesn't get to win. Let's make a few applications and be done. It means that spiritual death doesn't get to win. Right? This is obviously, John is big on signs. Uh, miracles as, as signs pointing to something bigger than uh, simply what's happening right then and there. And obviously this is a sign pointing to something deeper. It's pointing to the fact that our physical deaths are simply outworkings of our spiritual deaths. And we all die because we're all naturally spiritually dead. But the good news is that our spiritual death doesn't get to win. That means if, if you're not a believer, if you're here this morning as a visitor, you're not a believer, uh, first, we're, we're glad you're here. And you're welcome to be here. Um, it means, and maybe you're thinking to yourself, I know Jesus forgives sins, I've heard that, but not these kinds, not, not the kinds of things that I've done. 
Jesus doesn't forgive what, not the bad ones. And I want you to see that this text says that that's not true. That those things don't get to win. And that if you know that you're dead, then you need to come to Jesus. Because he's the resurrection. And if you are a believer, it means that you're alive because Jesus raised you from the dead. Not by anything that you did. How much did Lazarus uh, contribute to the story, right? How much did he contribute to his resurrection? Simply his being dead. That's all he did. It's by Jesus' grace that you're alive. And it also means this, that that sin that you struggle with, that one that just haunts you, uh, the one that when you walked in this morning you thought, it, it said to you, you know you shouldn't be here. You know you're a liar. You know you're a fake. You know if everybody knew about that, uh, they wouldn't talk to you. <laughs> or they wouldn't listen to you preach. It feels like that sin gets to win, but the good news is it doesn't. It doesn't get to win. 